This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Type is storytelling. Type is communication. And you just, you want to tell whatever story you've been given and trying to not get too much of yourself in it. I don't want to put a big gale stamp on it. I like to sort of blend in the background a little bit. Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, June Thomas. And I'm your other host, TK Dutess. TK, I have been following your work as an audio producer and a host for many years, so I'm really glad to have a chance to chat with you. But tell me, Whose voice did we hear at the top of the show? June, I'm so glad to be here, and I'm excited to be with you. And that was the amazing Gail Anderson, a writer, educator, and designer whose first love is typography. She's also Mm. a fellow lover of stuff and keeper of things. Ooh, I can relate to that. (laughs) Uh, And and why (laughs) why did you want to speak with her? Because I'm just like a regular Joe that loves typography (laughs) and... I really like the quiet job that typography does of being art and information. Mm. So, you know, it was really excited to meet Gail and talk to her because she's a professional that looked like me. She has a similar cultural mm. background and she's also like joyfully ambitious. Ooh. She was a influential design voice at Rolling Stone. She's a medalist of the American Institute of Graphic Arts, which is AIGA. Um, she got their Lifetime Achievement Award in 2008. Wow. And she's given back to her alma mater, the School of Visual Arts, where she's now a chair in their advertising and design department. But wait, there's more. Her work has been all over Broadway. I didn't know it at the time. Her design on ads and playbills, like uh, shows like Avenue Q, which was one of the deciding factors for me going to see that show um, as a broke undergrad. Her design (laughs) pulled me in. And I'm so glad I went now that I know it was her. So she does all yes. kinds of work. You've seen it before, June. So I'm, I'm really yes. excited um, to be with her. And one of the coolest things she's worked on is designing a stamp for the USPS, um, United States Postal Service. And she's now on the Citizen Stamp Advisory Committee, where they make decisions on upcoming forever stamps. Okay, that is, without a doubt, the coolest thing in the world. But something tells me that you will have a little bit of an extra segment exclusively for Slate Plus members. What will they hear? We actually talk more about what goes into being on the Stamp Advisory Committee and how that Mm. informs her work. Um, Also, her favorite places to find typography in the wild, which I love, and our mutual love of stuff. (laughs) 
It's making me sweat a little. I'm in a constant battle with stuff. Uh, <laughs> if you are a member of Slate Plus, you will hear that at the end of the episode. And I am fairly certain, nay, completely positive, that you will enjoy it. And if you aren't, let me tell you, it is super easy to join as a Slate Plus member. You get to hear extra segments on this show and others like The Waves and Culture Gab Fest. You'll get bonus episodes of podcasts like Big Mood, Little Mood and Slow Burn. And of course, you will never hit a paywall at Slate.com. To learn more, go to Slate.com slash Working Plus. All right, let's hear TK's conversation with Gail Anderson. Hi, Gail. I'm TK. I'm so excited to be here with you. I'm happy to be here with you. So I definitely want to start here. Uh, As a fellow city girl, uh, you're from the Bronx. I'm from the Bronx. I'm from Brooklyn. I love that for us. And (laughs) you're Caribbean American. So am I. So I'm wondering, you know, about all your your accolades, your titles, the hats you wear. Uh, what is that hustle? Is that a New York City hustle? Is that a Caribbean oh, hustle? That is, is that- the Jamaican <laughs> with three jobs hustle, you know? Yes. All that stuff of, of feeling like I've got to work three times as hard and get 10 times as much done. And part of it is the Jamaican hustle and and being a woman and just all of that stacked up together yeah. has made me, in the 40 years I've been doing this, it's more like 70 years, you know, when you add up all the hours. Yeah. When when you first started, because I'm always curious, I always think about how my parents, you know, like, oh, you want to go, what does that mean? You want to go into audio? What is podcasting? Like, oh, what? I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. What was that journey like for you? I think that for my family... They just wanted us to go to college. And I mentioned School of Visual Arts as the college I wanted to attend. And they're like, that's a school? I was like, yes, yes it is. <laughs> and my art teacher at Cardinal Spellman in the Bronx suggested it. And I remember my dad saying, are you sure? Like, you want to do this art thing? And and they were surprisingly supportive. Um, and they certainly didn't have to be. And... They lived long enough to see me do well, which was wonderful. And they were there when I got the AIGA medal. They came to that dinner, and and that was really wonderful. That 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 their support um, paid off. Yeah. How did you decide on typography as a thing that you would pursue? I knew early on that I loved the way words looked. I loved the way letter forms looked and books that I had as a kid, how could these words be so expressive in the teen magazines I had? Like these are different kinds of letters. You don't know that they're font yeah. typefaces, whatever. It's just like, who does this? Who makes this? And and then I wanted to draw my own. And it was realizing that type was an amazing way to communicate in a beautiful way. And I started taking pictures of type and still do and encourage students to do that. Anybody with a phone, take pictures of all these old raggedy signs and and manhole covers and whatever else you see. And and for students, it's like, you're going to use this in your work. Yeah. You just take all those little influences and they, they 
get in your head and you see it come out in your work. So you have work for uh, Broadway and Rolling Stone and School of Visual Arts. How do you decide where to start a design? Like the light bulb goes off in your head. Where, I mean, what, what do you do next? I'm best with structure and most of us surprisingly are. I want to know who the audience is. I want to know what their restrictions are. I, I kind of want all my ducks in a row first. And yeah. it's really important to know who you're designing for. And if it's designing for, you know, a young person versus someone my age versus it's type of storytelling, type is communication. And you just, you want to tell whatever story you've been given, you want to tell that properly. If it's a book I'm doing a cover for, then it's reading as much of the book as possible. Yeah. Um, certainly a magazine story, reading as much of the copy is, is ready. And sometimes, surprisingly, a lot of it isn't ready. And you're mm. designing it sort of blindly. And that right. is is frustrating. But then you're doing the job of, of sort of interviewing the person you're working with, of asking the editor or the writer questions or the marketing person or the art director or whoever to get as much information as possible so that you're, you're not going down some wackadoo path. So, you know, when, when you're working with different audiences or you know that there's going to be different eyes on this thing, um, specific eyes on this thing, what are the choices that you make um, to convey a thing to young audiences, older audiences, you know, these folks, that folks? I've learned, especially as I'm older now, that there are things that I'm looking at for an older audience that I'm more cognizant of the clarity, of legibility, of point size, of all of that in designing. Um, one of my pet peeves is shampoo and conditioner, you know, and like which one is which when I don't have my glasses on in the shower. Yeah. And why is uh, on pattern products, which I love, it's all yellow. Why is the type so thin? Why is the type yellow too? And it's this point size. Like all of that starts to become really important. And yeah. I see when I'm telling students, you're designing whatever this is for senior citizens. They're beside themselves because they only know how to design for a young person. And it's right. like, this is not what real life's going to be for you. You're going to have to design for different people. And you really have to think about the audience. So you're like interpreting from different angles, uh, yeah. the, the person that, or the thing, the place, uh, yeah. like you said, who all is in charge of the project, right? Yeah. And trying to not get too much of yourself in it, mm. you know, to be sort of anonymous. At least that's, I don't yeah. want to put a big gale stamp on it. It's like, oh, yeah. I know who did that. I like to sort of blend in the background a little bit. And that's and interesting. It, yeah. But it's really, it's really an adventure, each project. And I like collaborating and working with other people. I don't really like working by myself. Yeah. And after I'm done here, I'm jumping on a call. My friend Joe Newton and I are designing a book about Amos Kennedy, um, mm. a black uh, printmaker in Detroit. Wow. Older man, lovely, fun, a letterpress printer who's been doing this for, for years and fascinating life. Yeah. Now I like to work on projects that have some substance and do things for people that are going to make a difference or attempt to make a difference. Or for someone like Amos, who's been who spent most of his 
the letterpress part of his career as an activist, you know? And so I want to do stuff like that for people like that. Do you consider yourself an activist? I am, I'm like around the edges, but I feel like as I've gotten older, that is of more interest to me. The the feeling like I'm doing something for a purpose, for a cause, and not just decorating, um, that I'm doing projects that I really want to do and not just projects for the money and stuff like that. So maybe if you come back to me in a few years, be like, yes, I'm an activist. Mm -hmm." (laughs) Now I'm like, I'm just kind of (laughs) tired. Let me see. I can, let me try to do that on Saturday. So, (laughs) I mean, if you can only activist on Saturday, we'll take it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know what? This is a great time. I would love to turn to your um, emancipation proclamation forever stamp. My favorite thing ever, the biggest and the smallest and the coolest in when Antonio Alcala called me from Postal, I was like, what? Is he like the United States? The United States is on the phone. The United States is on the phone, yeah. And calling <laughs> this you is to America make a calling. So yeah. It was so exciting because it's something that, as a designer, you kind of dream about. And yeah. who gets to do something like that? And I want to describe it. Can you describe it for the folks that are listening? The thing that they asked was to not design something with words with type and to use an image and i was like "Uh oh oh (laughs) and so i was like okay well i know that i have to design something with type to get it out of my system because it seemed like so clearly this first line of henceforward shall be free like that's that's it right there so i did that to get it out of my system and then I did something else with hands that Antonio and I thought, okay, they're going to go for this. But in my heart, it was like, n- no, setting this type, the first line of the document in historical typefaces that were appropriate to the period, yeah. uh, stacking it, setting it like uh, like an old playbill, um, yes. a broadsheet, like this, this, I don't know, it seemed right to me. And I thought, oh man, too bad this isn't right to them. But yeah. I was like, this hand thing, like, okay, I could, I could live with this, these interlocking fingers and, and some other stuff that I tried that wasn't. And fortunately, they're like, we like the type. Yeah. And like, good thing I did it, you know? Yeah. And good thing Antonio showed it, because this was the right way to go. And we went down to Hat Show Print in Nashville to actually print it with the historical typefaces and not faking it on the computer. Okay. Jim Sheridan, master printmaker who who both of us knew let us set the type. So you you went to a place. The oldest working you... letterpress in the country. Wow. And then we ran the first prints and we cut it up and said, "Okay, well this should be red and that should be the black." And it was so wonderful to be hands-on. Yeah. And to be off the computer and to do this in the appropriate way. Only later on to have somebody online be like, well, that face wasn't from 18. Uh, it was uh. like, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's five years off, whatever. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But in general, it was so cool. And then I didn't see it. I just wondered how it turned out. And I, I was invited to the first day of issue 
ceremony in D.C., and it was New Year's 2013, and it was at the last minute that I was invited and brought my sister and my nephew down, and I saw the unveiling of the stamp and uh, signed copies for people yeah. after, and I was like, I can't believe I made this, you know? It's so beautiful. This little it's... bitty thing that's like the biggest thing I've ever done. What does it feel like for you to convey freedom through text? It feels really cool. Yeah. There's a real rush that you get from doing stuff like that that is different from the rush that you get from other kinds of work. And yeah. I feel like I've been so lucky, even though I've worked really hard, and yeah. I never discount that, but I've been really lucky and... The goal is to continue to try to make it easier for the next generation of designers of color. Yes. And I came into it when I was almost always the only person in the room and certainly the only designer in the room. And if you've been that person, you're tasked with speaking for all people of color and like, so mm-hmm. want to know what you think. It's like, oh, really? Because I'm the representative. Yeah. And like, <laughs> like, well, this is, like, this is just me, but. And, uh, yeah. And I, you know, for all the weird stuff that I've lived through or suffered through or whatever, I hope that it's, that's made it easier for people in their 40s or 30s or 20s or whatever. And as they get older, they'll be like, well, what was she talking about? What's she complaining about? Because, like, this is great. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, learning more about your industry, I, I learned that, you know, it's like 3.5%, you know, people of color. Still. Oh, my goodness. Still. Yeah. Um, and it's because it's hard because <laughs> there are jobs. And I tell parents at, at yeah. our school events, it's like, no, your kid will do well. Like, it's not going to be a starving artist if if your kid is good at this whether it's motion interaction, um, AR, VR, regular design, book covers, magazines, whatever. Like, there are opportunities. And it isn't a, what does my child do? In the way that it was mm-hmm. for me 40 years ago, that your your kid will be fine. And so if they're good, have to make them stick with it and support them. We'll be back with more of TK's conversation with Gail Anderson. Listeners, we want to hear from you. Every other Thursday on Working Overtime, we give advice. So please help us out by asking us questions. Tell us about your creative challenges. Tell us about things you've figured out so that we can share them with others. Drop us a line at working at slate.com. You can also send us a voice memo to that address. We'd love that. Or you can give us a ring at 304-933-WORK. And if you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Working wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Let's return to TK's conversation with Gail Anderson. I'd love to talk about some of your political signs or signs that, you know, are in support of certain candidates. So what I see in the world on the lawns and on in the windows of like people's shops, there's the blue background 
there's a white border with stars and the candidate's name and depending on what party, right? So like if you're left, it's a little cooler, right? Like the Democrats are a little a little cooler. You oh, know? The AOC posters years back, those were the ones that we were like Ooh, like like start these to are pay kind attention. Of, yeah. It's like, well, who's doing this? She looks like she's pretty cool because look at these posters. And and you do see stuff for candidates. And I know I look at it through the lens of design, but I think that other people don't realize that they're looking at it through that lens, but they're saying, huh, she seems kind of cool and fresh. Yeah. And there's something going on here, as opposed to the red, white, and blue, stars and stripes, and the traditional stuff. Uh, yeah. And I, I love seeing that. I, I remember the Obama stuff. Yes. That you're like, ooh, this this is just better, you know? Yeah. I definitely got that from your, your Hillary uh, button from like, 2016. Oh, how, I was one of, I forget how many, like 20 designers or something asked to do these buttons. So did you have like certain, so I, I'll say to the audience, it's um what I'm looking at is an orange button, uh, orange background with an H. It kind of looks very... Um, the H looks very HBCU to me. Um, then there's an arrow going through. I see you. <laughs> and it says, Hillary is just my type. Yeah, so they can make a little type joke because I'm a type person. Yeah. And- were you tasked with like, or were, were all 28 of you tasked with like, you have to add, have the arrow. You have no, to. No, okay. it was just like, do something they wanted, you know, wanted them to go viral and, and get out there and. And make a button. I was like, I'm going to make three buttons. <laughs> it was either yeah. it was either make one big one or you know three small ones. And, and then I like bought a bunch of them. And oh, I projects like that just are so exciting. Which takes me to your voting posters. There's the gone voting, and it's kind of it's giving you know old school. There's a, a little boy fishing and the dog mm-hmm. right next to him. Can you tell us about that? You know, that's from 08. And yeah, a lot was, was happening in 08, too. Yeah, yeah. AIGA, American Institute of Graphic Arts, um, sponsors a, a voting initiative. And they get designers to do posters and they ask folks. And then they used to print them and now they give you the files and you can print them yourself and put them up. Yeah. And so we did Gone Voting, Gone Voting. And it, it was that same buzz, that same like, this is this little teeny tiny thing, this little gesture but it's a gesture, and I'm trying. Yeah. And yeah, and now that we're talking about this, it makes me really want to engage. Yeah. And I feel like I have to find my thing for this mm-hmm. next election and and make sure to put myself out there a little bit and not wait for somebody to ask me to do something, but to do yeah. something on my own. And I, I feel it. Like I mean, I'm looking at it right now. The background is kind of like a, a brown, mm-hmm. like a, you know, it's fading into it in the middle. And then there's gone voting. Um, and mm-hmm. this person is fishing. Right. And it's like you can't sit back. You know, you have yeah. to cast that net. You have to cast that line. You have yeah. to vote. And then the bottom, it says good design makes choices mm-hmm. clear, which is the tenet of typography. Yeah. Um, well, now you make me want to hang up and go out and do something. So I'll see you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go. I mean, we could cut this short. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's motivating. I would just love to get into some just like, you know, regular everyday Joe stuff about design and typography that might help folks talk to a designer, right? Like we're in this world of 
you know, we, we got to make visuals every day. And if you don't know someone, you have to figure out how to do it yourself. Um, so like, what are like three things that, or three terms that I could tell a designer or express to a designer that makes that person know that I know what I'm talking about and I would love to be in communication <laughs> well, with you. Well, that, I- <laughs> that you're a good client. Huh. Yes, I want to be a good client. It's hard. Um, it's hard for some people to get across what they're looking for and they feel like they've got to do it by explaining exactly what it should be visually. And mm. that's less helpful to us than if you can tell us how you want something to feel. Okay. And it's less about you talking about the typeface um, than to be able to talk about what you want to get across in the piece and, and being open to um, the use of imagery or the lack of imagery and doing it just with words. And sometimes people will say, I don't really have the money for a photograph or an illustration or whatever. Can we just do this with type? Um, whether it's a book cover or a poster or whatever. And I really enjoy that challenge because I do want to communicate everything with the words yeah. as much as possible. Um, even though I do enjoy the collaboration of working with an artist, it's. I feel like if I can't do it with the words, then I failed somehow. And I enjoy that challenge. So the more ammunition you can give us without getting into the specifics okay of thinking that you know exactly what it should look like right and it's your thing and ultimately you have to be happy of course yeah so you're the more you can explain the better but it's almost like you don't have to explain the visual part of it as much as as the other part. So a feeling. Yeah. What the occasion is. What just the occasion is and who, who the audience is. The most important the thing is who, who are we designing this for? And the hardest thing for us is when the client then says, well, if we can take this part from this sketch and that from that and then combine yeah. it. And it's painful to hear that. Because okay. you're like... Well, I would have That's... done that myself if I thought. But, and the thing on my end that I've learned doing the theater stuff for so many years was to have an open mind to what the client is saying and to yeah. get them into the collaborative part of it, not yes. sitting next to you, but going back and forth. Going with back you. and forth and being okay with showing the stuff that doesn't work sometimes because that makes the process transparent which is important and then they can kind of see a bit of the struggle yes and they can then sometimes help pick out something like this isn't it i agree but there's something <laughs> about the way this feels yeah and you're like okay tell me more. so it, yeah. it becomes an exploration together and as much as we can kind of be in it together and as much as i can let you behind the curtain a little bit, the less you'll feel like I'm trying to pull one over on you or trying to just show you this cool thing that I made, you know, that isn't really paying attention to what your needs are. 
And that was a huge lesson that I learned those years doing the theater stuff is you've got to, you got to let them in. You can't force something on someone. And as much as possible, you want them to feel like it came from them. What was a time that you had to like solve a a creative problem and, and get deep with it? Solving a creative problem that I knew a lot of people would see the results of came with the theater work that was very visible, that wasn't within the pages of something, but was the actual thing and was up on a billboard or, or on a, the front of a theater. Uh, so it was a very specific kind of problem solving. We worked on, you know, the millionth staging of uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And Edward Albee said, it's not about drinking and it's not about alcoholism. And this is, you know, this famous playwright telling me this. And I'm like, I know, I know, but I'm still afraid of you. And, yeah. and we boiled it down to something that he felt was not the key to his work. And I was like, oh, my God, like we made this tremendous mistake. But you kind of like tell me more because yeah. when you're doing something you're doing for like the 20th time that there have been a million versions of this that have existed in the world that are are known and are really good and you've got to take a stab at it now however many years later that was really hard work for me but it was it was learning in those years like looking at something through the eyes of a very famous playwright or yeah. someone up and coming or something that's been around forever that you're doing a new take on. Um, what a learning experience of having to to figure out the role of design, of selling, you yeah. know, of selling tickets, of like, oh my goodness, this this like has a heavy lift attached to it. And if this doesn't work and nobody gets this, like I've done everybody a huge disservice. Right. And it felt for the first time like the thing that I was doing, that there were consequences. Mm. And that was intimidating. And then after a while, you're just like, you know what? Uh, some of these things work. Some of them don't. It's not about me. It's not about the design. It's about the content of the show itself. And you sort of strip away all of the ego stuff attached to it. And Yeah. So what happens when you're not fully satisfied with the design but it has to go out and it happens yeah and you move on to the next one okay you know and you know when i was younger you kind of like and fret about it and would you see it in the world and be like oh not that not again (laughs) not again but luckily nobody cares and everything's got a really short shelf life and the first times i saw stuff that i did as trash on the street, Ooh. you know, that you're just like, yeah, this is really disposable. This is not, yeah. I'm all like, oh my God, it's my thing. This is fish wrap. And then once you let go of that, that this is, you know, it's forever. It's not, it nobody is. cares. You care, nobody cares. And then you're liberated. Then you're free to have fun and make mistakes, which is part of the process. All right. I'm I'm wondering if this is controversial or not, but like what do you think about tools like Canva and AI? Are they oh undermining God. the I industry? Are they bringing people in? Uh. I don't even know what to think. We're we spent the summer trying to come up with a policy for the students and you know, it really made us sort of stop and think and I Yeah. They're less interested than I thought they would be, which is good in okay. a way, but 
my greater, there's some of it that's really, really helpful, I got to admit. And I've run stuff through ChatGPT also to have a look, but I'm afraid that it will be too much of a crutch for the young ones and that they won't take a shot at, at writing. And I, I, I like to write. I love to write. So I'm not afraid of it. And I know some people really don't like it. And so it'll be helpful to those people. But I don't want that to become the way people are communicating by just that said, it's amazing. It's interesting because like I, you know, and in terms of like tools, like like Canva for a person that is just like for, I'm your everyday non-designer, Joe yeah. Schmo. So, so like, does that threaten That's totally the threatening. industry? Yes. How do we break free from 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 these kind I, of things? You, you don't break free because this is this is where we're heading. So mm. it's that you're using it responsibly, and that okay. there are small projects that you might want and don't want to spend a ton of money on, or yeah. know what you need and just need to it to look nice to set the type yeah. or do whatever. And that's what that's there for, you know. And you yeah. should have the freedom to do that. But but for don't use more, it for your book cover. Don't use it for your book cover. <laughs> Yeah, for your more, but again, there's there. I've seen software that does presentation decks for you, and and like, wow, yeah, it's a little scary, and it makes me think. Well, I'm glad I'm old because I'll be dead soon. But for somebody <laughs> just starting out, like, yeah. oh my goodness, how do they stay encouraged? You know, seeing all this, because I know when uh, Instagram came out, my photographer friends were were yes. besides themselves and when like uh, there were fil- different filters and you know how do you stay encouraged then we are always going to be necessary for our ideas you know we are conceptual thinkers and we will not be replaced by ai for that um there's some of the technical stuff that's made easier for us for all of us including designers there's some that is still looks too much like AI when you look at it. Some of the design software that people are using, it's too like, you yeah, can it's see too it. mushy yeah. and too dark. And, and yeah. it's like, yep, yep, I know where that came from. But it's going to make some stuff easy and give us hopefully more time to spend on the concepts. And we will always be necessary for the strategy in all of that. But I think that we have to be really aware of it and we can't fight it and say, this isn't happening and I'm not going to and blah, blah, because it's happening and you're going to yeah. and we might as well figure out how to use it to our advantage. Yeah. Gail, thank you so much for sitting with me and taking me through your creative process and just your whole life. I really appreciate you. Oh, this was really fun. Up next, TK and I will talk about how to access the emotions you want to evoke in a piece of work and learning from pet peeves. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TK, I have to admit that until I listened to this interview, I kind of thought that most people were faking their interest in fonts. I know that is a bold (laughs) statement, but no. Gail is awesome, and her insights into the expressiveness of typefaces made me realize that I had held a pretty stupid point of view. Also, I'm a huge stamp nerd. I know. Could I be any cooler? So I loved hearing about the process of designing a stamp. And the Emancipation Proclamation stamp that she designed is, I mean, it's beautiful. It's evocative. And to go deep on the stamp nerdery a bit, that subject matter has an extra resonance because an earlier USPS stamp commemorating the proclamation issued in 1963 was the first US stamp designed by a black American. Absolutely. And I love that you know that. And that designer (laughs) was George Olden. And I love his legacy because I imagine George is to Gail what Gail is to so many black designers of the future. Yeah, that's a lovely thought. I love that. One of the things that I found fascinating was Gail's comment that when someone comes to her with a design commission, she really doesn't want them to tell her how they imagine the finished piece will look, but instead what emotion they want the work to express. And I think that's something that all creators should put a little more focus on, whether we're working with clients or on our own, really thinking about the energy they want the work to convey. TK, I know you've done a ton of work as an audio producer. When you're working on a show, especially if you're in the early stages of figuring out what it needs to be when you're just asking a ton of questions. What kinds of questions have you asked yourself and the rest of your team to get to the emotional journey that you want the audience to experience? Ooh, that uh, that's a loaded question, depending on <laughs> what type of show it is. But also, I mean, no matter what, right, because we're, we're trying to reach people. We're trying to mm-hmm. like and also not just reach them one time. We're trying to come back right? We want to come be invited to your your homes and your ears. So I try to learn who the client is um, or the host of the show, because if it's, you know, if the, the host is driving the emotional response. So mm-hmm. I try to learn mm-hmm. that and I try to like encourage my team to learn more about what they do and who they are as people so that we can think in their language because a lot Mm. of the work behind the scenes is like thinking in the language of someone else so that they can express the thing that we're all trying to say as a team then i try to figure out who this is for right what will and what will resonate with those listeners so it's like a two-pronged thing we have to figure out like is this a niche project for like a niche few folks or is this for like the masses like and how are we going to reach each of those you know demographics so to speak Mm. and will we be adding something to their lives you know something that that they'll come back for and then Mm. I think to what Gail was saying about just kind of getting the chance to have a a conversation with the the client or the host or Mm. I'm asking for trust right Mm. trust in the process because podcasting and you know June podcasting is ugly before it's beautiful right (laughs) (laughs) A lot of pieces. 
<laughs> a lot of do-overs and then a lot of uh, <clears throat> diplomatic conversations. But like we mainly as a, as, a, as a team, we mainly need trust, trust in the process and trust that we'll come out with something that makes us all proud. Oh, my goodness. That's quite inspiring. Uh, I was also quite inspired by Gail's stories of soaking up examples of typography, you know, snapping photos of manhole covers and just geeking out about old signage. Is this something you do in your creative work? I mean, it's trickier with audio, right? I mean, do you have a collection of cool sounds on your hard drive? I don't have a collection of cool sounds because I know myself and I can get a little obsessive. So (laughs) I just look at stuff and I'm just like, oh, that's great. That's interesting. And next thing you know, I won't have a phone anymore. I won't have my computer will be. So knowing that about myself, I just I I have to calm down. (laughs) But when I do hit record, it's either by chance because it's so irresistible. And usually that's like when people are on the subway and something Sub New York City subway is happening and it, you just have to get it on tape or yeah. um, a moment in time that's super important. Like I, I remember my aunt and my mom talking maybe two Thanksgivings ago and I turned on my phone because they started talking about how my grandfather was born on the side of a road in Haiti. Whoa. How his mother took him and, and he gave birth to him and then walked back to her village. Oh. It was wild. Oh my God. So... I try to like keep my mind open for interesting times and interesting conversations. And then in terms of just like where the influence comes from, I don't know if this makes me weird, but I like to be, <laughs> you know, I like to just be on alert for, for things in the world and especially mm. like visual art, because it makes me wonder like, what would a color sound like? Oh. I, I've been visiting museums all summer and I'll see a piece and I'll just go, that's loud. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and I'm then I'm like, what would that flower sound like? What would that? So I don't know if it's it's a little esoteric, yeah. but here I am. <laughs> no, y- you are a true audio professional, I tell you, because I'm always very aware. I love art. I go to museums a lot, galleries, but I'm always looking for like the story. And I'm kind of the mm. same, like when I'm watching a movie or it's all about like what what's happening, the story, the words. I, I It's very hard for me to pay attention to like the colors, the shapes, the yeah. So we each have our weird little thing, yeah. And uh, I love that you kind of can hear sounding colors. That that's a beautiful thought. And, I mean, and you know, we've have our experiences, right? Like so, like for me, my professional experience is audio. So yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to make sense of this. I don't understand. You know, I'm not a visual. I I have recently been dabbling in visual arts, but <laughs> I don't know the technicals of what you're doing when you splash some paint and I'm sure there's a word for it. So a splash to me sounds like a clang in my head, you know? (laughs) So I think we can just come at it from our, all of our backgrounds, right? Yeah. Okay. I've got to tell you something that Gail said, someone who is very close in age to her and who has had terrible eyesight my whole life. I really related to her observation that the people who design shampoo bottles really need to put the word shampoo in very big letters. <laughs> that is like one of the most basic fails that we experience in the world every day, and it never seems to change. TK, I'm wondering, yeah. is there something that you have run into that has caused you to be like really attentive to make sure it doesn't happen in your own work? Oh my god! And I'm going to share one with you because okay. <laughs> I've been listening to podcasts for a long time, and I am extra fond of panel shows. If you give me a bunch of smart people talking about a topic, I will be there. I will be loyal. 
I will listen pretty much as long as you want to talk. But the more people you have, the more important it is that you introduce everyone. So whenever I am starting a podcast and the first speaker just says, we'll be hearing from and just like goes through a list of names and then we don't hear the guest voices, it makes me crazy because how will I know who's speaking? Right. I think, you know, I guess people want to avoid the repetition of introductions, but I need to associate a voice with a name. So when I'm producing podcasts, I always make sure that we have introductions where people say their name or say something after their name is mentioned. And I know that seems really basic, but it is crazy how often people skip it. So I have to know, what is your pet peeve? Ooh, okay. First, just to join you on this shampoo party, I agree <laughs> and... I have a solution. It, firstly, oh. the shampoo thing is where non-glasses wearers and glasses wearers, we overlap. <laughs> I'm with you. And I also think not only should it be in big letters, but it should have raised oh. type, right? That we could feel yes. the S. <laughs> we can feel it. We can feel the C for conditioner because... Oh, my God. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So now that we're Why? out of the shower... <laughs> okay. <laughs> My pet peeve for podcasting, um, you know, the one that you said is one of my top pod peeves. Another one is when folks just open their laptop and think two people talking out loud or anyone talking out loud is podcasting, which, (laughs) okay, technically, yes, a pod of sound. Mm. We could go back to the history of podcasting on another show, Mm. Um, (laughs) but they would have the audacity to upload two hours of unedited uh, raving no. or or they don't edit their guest and it ends up being a long advertisement for whatever the person is pushing, oh, which God, yes. I've been in the situation as a guest listening to another guest. You know, it was one of those, mm-hmm. it was a panel show. Yeah. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, this lady's taken up 37 minutes and then mm. they uploaded all 37. No. <laughs> you, no. You know? Um, so, like, you know, knowing that most people don't have all that time in the world for that kind of thing, I think we owe it to listeners to give the best representation of a conversation. So, like, editing is key. It really is. Oh, man. Yes. <laughs> I am so with you on that one. All right. I have one last question for you. As we have already established in this episode, Philately, just for the record, super, super cool. So, TK, do you have a favorite stamp design from the U.S. or anywhere else? I love the Toni Morrison design. The Toni Morrison Forever stamp. She looks beautiful mm. and powerful. Mm. I'm also, I Toni Morrison has never taken a bad picture in her life. <laughs> so, yes. I, whoever yeah. did that stamp, I give them such mm. kudos, but also they had such a great subject to work with. Yes. But what I didn't realize I would love so much, June was the dinosaur design that is holographic when you move it around. Mm-hmm. I have a sheet of the T-Rex ones with me right now. Literally, one just I just wanted to show you my T-Rex. I don't know if it's oh, moving on it's the thing. It, but I am staring, but the hologram doesn't work through the zoom. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's very tactile as well. It's so fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I have not seen that set, but... I do have, and I can't actually imagine using the Art of Magic set that is also a hologram that makes it look like a rabbit is appearing out of a top hat. I mean, it's just 10 out of 10 for creativity, USPS. It is, it's a thing of beauty. That is about all the time we have this week, but we hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, remember to subscribe 
wherever you listen to podcasts. That way you will never miss an episode. And just a reminder that by joining Slate Plus, you'll get ad-free podcasts, extra segments on shows like Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood, and you'll never hit a paywall on the Slate site. To learn more, go to slate.com slash working plus. Thank you to Gail Anderson and to our producer, Cameron Drews, who's so good at his job, he really should be on a stamp. Probably a holographic one. We'll We'll be back next week with June's conversation with Scottish writer Val McDermott. Until then, get back to work.